morning. Please turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans and chapter 10. And you can just put your finger on Hosea as well. So we'll go from Romans chapter 10 uh, and then uh, we'll turn to Hosea and chapter 10, chapter 14 rather. So we'll read the first 17 verses of Romans and chapter 10. Paul is explaining how the gospel applies as much to the Jews as it does to everyone else. Having said that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and uh, were justified freely through the, uh, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He spends chapter 9, 10, and 11 uh, describing how uh, that same justification by faith applies to the Jews as well, starting with Abraham, and in these chapters is a lot more detailed. And so that's what we are uh, reading. And today we're, we're dealing with part two of what I call the gospel according to Hosea. Romans then, chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jews and Gentile. 
The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israel, not all the Israelites accepted good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Hosea and chapter 14. Hosea and the last chapter. It's a fairly short chapter, so we can read that one as well. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount whole horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruit Fruit, fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble. As we uh, conclude our kind of rushed uh, study through Hosea. I sort of feel privileged to have, well, from my point of view, to slow down and uh, go through Hosea again. But I've uh, felt a bit sorry for, uh, for you guys to be dragged through a lot of text. I'm, I'm used to taking smaller chunks and teasing them apart. Uh, but here we have to do a bit of mining, a whole lot of text, and uh, try to discern 
what the message might be, not so much for Israel, because uh, this is preserved for us, according to 1 Corinthians 10, but what is this saying to us? How does this relate uh, to us? And I'm thinking about the Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, talking to these uh, two disciples who were so depressed uh, that uh, the one that they opt in was gone, that he was going to restore his Israel, but he's, he's gone now. Uh, but as he uh, tries to help them understand uh, his mission and his resurrection, he goes back to the Old Testament. And there is a there is a, a phrase that is unique in, in the words of the Lord Jesus. It comes out only once, that he sought to explain what is said about him in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Basically, that's, that's the summary of the Old Testament. The law, uh, that is, of course, the first five books, and uh, the, the prophets, uh, are not what we call the prophets because it includes kings, it includes Samuel, and so on. And then the writings, and the writings actually start with the book of Psalms. So uh, basically the Lord Jesus is saying, what is in the prophets finds fulfillment in him. And when Mark is telling us about Jesus, he, he introduces him in this, let me just read what Mark says. Uh, so you can see how I'm trying to connect uh, the end of uh, Hosea to now. This is, how the, this is how Mark introduces his book. The beginning of the gospel. That what he's presenting us is the good news. And the good news is centered around the Lord Jesus. The beginning of the gospel, and it's about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And then he appeals to the Old Testament, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. In a way, Hosea is also uh, one of those who speaks of what ultimately would only be fulfilled in the coming, uh, the life, the death, the resurrection, the glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel according to Hosea, uh, part 2. And as we come to chapter 14, I just want to make a number of points and try to connect uh, what we have seen in Hosea uh, with the, the Gospel. And that's, that's why I read from that Gospel tract in, uh, in Romans and chapter 10. When God speaks, let me put this as a qualifier as well. The message that I'm sharing with you, in a sense, is the kind of revision for us who are responsible for sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? What does God expect from us as messengers of the gospel, and what kind of uh, response does he expect? In a way, it is for us as Christians. And if you're not a Christian, then you can eavesdrop. 
because this will explain how the gospel works, how through the gospel God seeks to restore a relationship between us and sinners. And the first thing I want to say is this, that the gospel requires a response. In a sense, I'm not going to be describing the gospel as such, but uh, uh, some of the elements uh, in, at the end of uh, the, the message that is, is preached. And so this is a general statement that when God speaks, he does not do so in order to just entertain. So at the end of us here, it's not a bit of entertainment from the Old Testament. And as we saw right at the beginning, that this book is the word, let me just remind you of that, the word of Yahweh that came to Hosea, the son of Barry. And of course, it's the word that came through Hosea, as it goes on to say in verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea. So God is speaking. And when God speaks, in the end, he's not speaking to entertain. He's not speaking simply to inform us or to educate us. I mean, all those things might be there. Uh, Even if these ingredients are there, that's not the main purpose. It is always to get the appropriate response of one kind or another, followed by the fruit that comes out of that response, whether it's good or bad. What I mean by that is that when the gospel is preached, God expects a response. Either we we respond and... uh, be like the wise person who builds on the, uh, on the rock, or would respond and build on sand. And then, of course, that has its consequences. But either way, the gospel expects a response. There will be those who reject it and those, those who accept it. The Lord Jesus says this, now that... You know these things. This is from John chapter 13 when he's washing their, their feet and then he tells them what that means. Um, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's expecting a response. Enter by the, by the narrow gate because these are the consequences. If you enter by the broad gate, these are the consequences. So watch out for those who might mislead you. And then... There is that uh, statement about building either on sand or, uh, or the rock. And then the, at the end, for example, of John's Gospel, he says, I've told you these things, not to entertain you. I've told you these things so that you might know who Jesus is and so that by believing in him, you might have eternal life. So the Gospel requires a response. Now, the gospel, what kind of response does the gospel require? The gospel demands repentance. Because the Bible says we have all sinned. That, the gospel starts by pronouncing that judgment of our guilt. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when the gospel comes and accuses us of uh, being sinners who are under the judgment of God, 
the appropriate response is to turn away from our sins. Whether it's on the day of Pentecost, whether it's the preaching of John, John the Baptist, whether it's the preaching of the Lord Jesus, he expects repentance. And repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction. We were going away from God and we need to turn back to God. Verse 1 of Hosea. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. So after those 13 chapters, this is what is required of those who hear the message of Hosea. Repent. Turn around. The Apostle Paul puts it like this when he goes to that university town of Athens in, in Greece many years ago. After he has explained to them about the Lord Jesus, he says, God demands that all men everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day on which the judgment is going to come. And that judgment is going to come again through the Lord Jesus. Just as we are saved through him, the judgment is also going to come through him. So God demands repentance. And that's what Peter told them after preaching to them. After explaining to them why this experience that they thought that these guys are drunk. He said, no, this is about Jesus. This is about the fact that Jesus, whom you crucified, has been raised and is exalted to the right hand of the Father and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, you're on the wrong side of history right here. And so they, they respond, what shall we do? And I'm sure you remember what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you so that your sins can be forgiven and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel demands this kind of repent, this kind of response, repentance. And that's what we have in verse 1 there. Let me say a little bit more about this. Now, true repentance is preceded by conviction. The, the, the problem I have struggled with um, when I was a pastor in the Sacra Baptist Church, at one time, the first time that the, some of you might uh, uh, be old enough as Christians to go back to the 80s, when we had the yellow tent uh, from South Africa, uh, I was being accused of one of the young uh, guys at the university, Pastor, why are you against crusades? I wasn't, I wasn't against crusades. I was actually part of the Lusaka group of churches preparing for that, uh, for that crusade. The time that I pulled out and I said, we as Lusaka Baptist Church are not going to participate was when this whole thing of how do we respond was going to be automated. I saw my role as training counselors to help people make an informed decision, make a proper kind of repentance. But we've automated all this. You know, just come to the front and just say the words of the evangelist. And we had that in writing when I suggested that that was our understanding 
we got a, a, an official response from South saying, no, 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 no. This is like a, a hooking a fish. If the man of God does not kind of land them, then they're not going to be saved. So in other words, people had to repeat Bonke's uh, words. And then I read something, uh, a brochure, because I was informed all, of all that they were doing. And then he described the situation where they were singing and the atmosphere was so great, he just decided to make an appeal without the preaching of the gospel. In other words, a response without the message. And that's why I read from Romans. How do they call on the one they have not believed in? How, how, how does that happen without this? There is a process. So that is why I want us to be very clear that repentance, true repentance, is preceded by conviction. Conviction is that uh, ascent within our hearts that, yes, it's true, I am a sinner. Yes, it's true, I fall short of the glory of God. Yes, I can see why God would be angry with me. And I need a savior. Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, the apostle comes to this, this realization. It's really about conviction. He's a man who's been quickened, as it were, by the Spirit. In Romans chapter 7. He can see what he should do. But he finds that he's doing the thing that his nature dictates. And he cries out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who shall rescue me from this body of death? And then he discovers in Christ there is salvation. And so he cries out, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because of the, the, the rescue, the salvation, the redemption, the justification that is available in Christ Jesus. But we need to come to a true conviction. Coming out of the shadows and admitting our guilt. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who hides, um, remembering from a Bible, Bible camp, Bible school, I can't quite remember what we called it, for young people back in the, uh, in the 70s or 80s. Like I was talking about the church. This is one of the verses they had, to, uh, they had to memorize. So I also memorized it with them. He who hides his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and renounces them will receive God's mercy. So there has to be this recognition that yes, it's true that I have sinned. Yes, it's true. What God says about me is the right way of looking at myself. And then there is, a, if you like, an emotional response to that that the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There is a sorrow for sin. They were cut to the heart, we are told. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. They were cut to the heart. What shall we do? The jailer in Acts chapter 16. What must I do? Because the power of God makes him realize that he's on the wrong side of, of God. Seeking forgiveness. So repentance is preceded by conviction. 
Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. So we recognize that. And it's on that basis that we're able to take those words, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive our sins because we know that we have sinned against God. And receive us graciously. Receive us not as our sins deserve. Psalm 103. It does not treat us as our sins deserve. When he receives us, he receives us graciously because of the merits of the Lord Jesus, which he is willing to attribute to us. So repentance involves a willingness and determination to leave that life of sin or self-righteousness behind. And I'm thinking here, not only what is being said here, let me read again what Hosea says. Take words with you, this is the instructions from the Lord, and return to the Lord. Take, say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Now the reason I say it is turning away from the life of sin as well as our self-righteousness is because of what the Apostle Paul became very aware of. Let me read to you uh, from Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Here is somebody who also needs to repent, even though he felt that in terms of law righteousness, he was faultless. Verse 7 in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That is the gospel convicting this religious, self-righteous person, but he also falls short of the glory of God. Whatever, what is more, I consider them a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, all my credentials, that would claim any kind of righteousness in the presence of God. I consider them rubbish. I consider them, excuse the uh, vernacular of today, bullshit. That's, a, that's a, literally what he's saying. Uh, dunk, how dumb. That's what he's saying. This is, what, this is how I consider this stuff. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Because the righteousness that is my own, Isaiah describes it as filthy rags. So repentance involves that willingness to leave that stuff behind, to leave that self-confidence in my own righteousness. And leave that behind. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Uh, I'm sure you can see what uh, is being said there in that context. Because 
Israel has been accused again and again of adultery, of uh, prostitution, of uh, adultery. Uh, and so the people who are coming to God have to say that we're going to leave all that behind. We're not going to put our trust in Assyria. We're not going to trust in our war horses. And we're not going to trust in these gods that we have made. These gods who have mouths that they cannot speak. They have feet that they cannot walk. They have ears that they cannot hear. They're impotent. And they need to be protection, to be protected. Remember I was here talking about uh, these, these guys fearing for the calf of Samaria. Those were the kind of gods that these people who recognize that they need to repair their relationship with God need to forsake all that. On Christ, the hymn writer puts it this way, on Christ the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. So repentance involves that, involves the recognition that nothing else is good enough. Not even Radio Phoenix's uh, uh, slogan, uh, nothing but the best they consider themselves. Now, true repentance is followed by faith. Let me read what is uh, sometimes regarded as the proof of the loss of salvation because people don't go that far in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, there is, we'll come back to, to the first two verses, which basically speak of the essence of the gospel and the kind of response that is expected for those who hear the gospel. But Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, in a sense, uh, illustrates what I'm saying here of true faith. True faith. Verse 18. God did this in... uh, Let me read in context from verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. This is a promise of eternal life to those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to lie, we, that is, if we are Christians, then two things will have happened. We have fled. That is, that's, if you like, a picture of repentance. We've turned away from certain things. We have fled to take hold of the hope offered us. That is faith to take hold of the, of, of the hope offered us. The hope that the Apostle Peter speaks about in chapter 1, you can read about that, that Peter is praising God for. To take hold of the, of the hope offered us so that we might be greatly encouraged. 
And the reason we're encouraged is because we know that God can be trusted. If he has promised something, then we can rely on that. That is a solid rock. It will not sink if the, if the building is built on solid rock. The storms may come, but the house remains standing. Suffering may come, but the person of faith says, even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll see him with my own eyes. That's in the midst of confusing, confusing experiences. And the Apostle Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4, I think from verse 7, on, onwards there, we're perplexed, but not in despair. In other words, we don't lose hope because our hope is secure in the promises of hope. Of, of God. We take hold of the hope offered, and this hope is something that does not let us down. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus is, who went before us. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And one John says, I'm writing to you so that you do not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have a, this Melchizedek. We have this advocate speaking on our behalf. Second John chapter 2 and the very first verse. So, true repentance is followed then by faith. And just going back to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 again, Therefore, let us leave behind the elementary teachings. In a sense, what I'm dealing here, dealing with here are elementary things. Um, this is about clarity concerning these elementary things. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation, and this is the foundation on which we are building. Repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. So repentance is followed by faith. Let me describe a little bit more what this faith is. Now remember one uh, uh, reading one little book about you know the things that we believe and there was a, a little anecdote from Sunday school uh, some Sunday school teacher Asking, you know, what is faith? <laughs> faith is believing what you know is not true. Uh, you know, you know, kids are very clear sometimes in in uh, in saying exactly what they have understood from the way that we we act. But sometimes, as adults, we act as if faith is just believing something that's really not true. Because when it comes to it, we act as if we don't have a God. When it comes to it, we act as if we don't have that security. When it comes to it, we act as if the things that God has promised are not so solid after all. Now, faith involves the convictions that certain things are true. 
it's not about some religious feeling of believing something that we're not quite sure whether it's true or not. Faith is the conviction that that thing is true just as repentance involves the conviction that we are sinners. That we, apart from God, it's vanity or worse. So faith involves, involves that. Let me remind you again of what the Apostle Paul says in, uh, in Romans chapter 10. If you confess, verse, verse 9, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you can't confess Jesus is Lord unless you believe in your heart certain things about Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, he is king of kings. And he's able to say to John, don't be afraid, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So I call on him because of certain things that I believe about him to be true. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That confession is empty unless there is the believing in your heart and certain things about him that he was raised from the dead. It is with your heart that you believe. Your heart is the things that are really deeply rooted within you. I mean, we can say what we like with your mouths, but it is what's in the heart that really matters. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So it's not just about coming to the front and saying certain words. The apostle says, yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. But there is a process. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? But how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard. In other words, you need to have certain facts about which you're convinced these things are true. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching the good news, preaching the truth. No wonder the Apostle Paul says to, to Timothy, preach the word. Because people who want to listen to, to, to preaching sometimes will collect a whole bunch of preachers to tickle their itching ears. You preach the word which brings conviction, which, which uh, brings the truth, like Hosea has claimed right at the beginning, this is the word of Yahweh to him and through him and to us. So the conviction involves, as I say, certain things are true, just as repentance also involves believing that, yes, I am a sinner. So believing also, uh, it's, it's about believe and accept his promises. Like, remember, fleeing from the rose to come, holding on to that hope, that firm hope, that anchor for our souls. And that's, in a sense, what we, what we have here in uh, Hosea. Let me... Uh, Say God changes. God, it doesn't say that says the Lord, but it's God speaking from verse 4. I will heal their waywardness 
This is in the sense of the forgiveness, like, uh, like Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 38 and so on. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely. They don't have to pay for my love. It's grace. Because my anger has been turned away from them. The wrath of God has been averted through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. I will be like dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots and so on and so on. So this is true repentance also involves believing these certain things to be true. We accept his promises. True faith involves believing certain things that are true. It's not just about sincerity. It's not just about, I went to the front and I cried a lot. It's not about my tears. We can cry a lot and, and still be unchanged. We can even get baptized, like I said to people, if you're not really born again, you're just going as a, as a dry sinner and coming out as a wet sinner. Uh, it doesn't change you. Could my zeal no, rest, no respite, no, the hymn writer says. Well, I'm not exactly quoting him, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Could my zeal no respite, no, my tears forever, forever flow. None for sin could atone. So believing rather the things that God offers. Truth is important. And so when Jesus offers himself to us, it's no one can come to the Father except through me. And who am I? I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the way. You can only come to the Father through me. And I am the ultimate fulfillment of the truth. And so... Faith is standing on the promises of God, as the hymn writer says. So watch out for the false prophets. That's what the Lord Jesus says as he expects a response from his Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew chapter 7, watch out for those who mislead you, who will say there is a, there is a very popular broad road. Why don't you take that? Everybody's going that way. He says, enter by the narrow gate. So the gospel offers assurance of safety and prosperity. That's what, we, that's what we see in chapter 4 and so on. I will heal their waywardness. I will be like due to Israel. So it promises, uh, it promises forgiveness. It promises love. I will love them freely. It promises peace in place of wrath. My anger is turned away you know, from them. It promises prosperity. Verse 5 and 6 there. I will be like the dew of Israel. He will Blossom like a lily. Just like he said to the Israelites when they're going to the promised land. He says, you're going to be blessed. Just remember to be thankful that those blessings, blessings are coming from me. And the person of faith recognizes that. That all good things are sent from heaven above. The gospel promises us so much. And we need to be receptive to that. Let me finally just say this. The gospel has power. The gospel has power to elicit a response. And it offers a choice. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. 
That is God speaking. When God says, speaks to, to somebody's heart in that way, then there is that response. And maybe we as preachers, uh, sharers of the gospel, can direct them as to what they must do. But the gospel has the power to turn people around. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of God, the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we need to be very careful about what it is that we offer people. Let's tell them enough about the Lord Jesus for them to make an informed decision. So let's not allow this culture that we have now with uh, so many applications on our phones, on our, on our uh, uh, computers. You, know, you need an application for this, an application for And then there's a whole lot of conditions that you can't be bothered to read, so you just press accept. You know? <laughs> it shouldn't be like that with the Lord Jesus. You know, just accept, and, uh, and everything's going to be okay. We need to give adequate information. So no need for manipulative methods of securing a response because the gospel, the truth, has power to bring about conviction. It's not up to us to engineer some kind of response. Let the gospel do that. That's why the Apostle Paul says we have renounced underhanded methods. We have renounced deceit. We have renounced the kind of Picture, I still remember somebody coming to visit Lusaka Baptist Church one time, a guest preacher. After he's, he's finished preaching, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Uh, now those who want to accept the Lord Jesus, and he hadn't been talking about the Lord Jesus. You know, some preachers think that so long as they preach, they must have a response of some kind. You know, just wherever you are, just put up your hand. I'm thinking of another situation where, you know, put up your hand. Okay. And there's no hand, Apoka. At, okay, I see one hand. And I don't be shy. You know, put up your hand just where you are. And then other hands. Uh, so they start putting up, uh, putting up their hands. Uh, and the next thing they're told, well, okay, uh, just where you are, uh, if you could, don't mind standing up. And so they stand, and they don't know what's coming next. And once you stand, everybody knows that <laughs> you are the one who put up your hand when we had our heads bowed and eyes closed. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind you know, just coming to the front, you didn't sign up for that at the beginning. But you're already trapped. And then the guy goes away, he got a response. But so many people uh, responded. Or so many people uh, made salvation decisions as uh, uh, during the days of Ninsanga, uh, the report from Dollar. 5,000 people made salvation decisions. We do not need tricks. The gospel, the word of God, produces its own response. It brings about that conviction. We have to be faithful, not so clever. So the Apostle Paul says, therefore we plainly, just speaking the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. Second Corinthians 
4, I think, verse 2. We have a choice. The gospel is respectful. The gospel is respectful. When Jesus comes to us, he's respectful. Even when we've messed up, he goes and come, 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 come. Anybody there? If you hear my voice, but you have to respond. You have to open the door. And then the promises follow. I'll sup with him and he with me. I'm sorry uh, to really uh, break all those COVID uh, restrictions. <laughs> but that is, that is what uh, I just wanted to say. And that you can just read through that uh, chapter 14. And I think you'll find the things that I've been saying there. That uh, the response is required. It requires repentance. But repentance involves acknowledging my sin. Repentance is followed by faith in what God is offering. And God offers all kinds of blessings. And those are the ones that we trust. And at the end of Hosea, it says, the one who is wise listens to what God is saying and follows. And the one who is not stumbles at these things. May the Lord grant us, even as we uh, share the gospel, to be true to the gospel so that we don't have a lot of false faith, a lot of half-baked so-called believers uh, who can't live the Christian life because they don't have Christ in them. If we preach the gospel aright, then people will have a relationship with the Lord Jesus who says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, not religion, not rituals, but a relationship. Amen.